Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost. Let the word go forth. Fool me once. Are you fired up? I'm not a crook. Are you ready to go? Shame on, shame on you. It's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, hosted by Ben Kissel. Boom, we can't get fooled again. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel here, hanging out with Fernando. How are you, Fernando? I'm doing good, Ben. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Today, I am honored to have with me the liberal rednecks, Drew Morgan and Trey Crowder. They are fantastic. I had a chance to hang out with them and meet them. They are super sweet dudes, super smart guys. And so this is a conversation that we had. And I don't know. What did you think, Fernando? I thought it was, you know, as far as as far as three white blokes go. I felt like we were all right. You guys were woke. Whoa! Not so don't woke. don't curse us with such a horrible, horrible term, please. But we had a wonderful time talking, and I just love I love those guys. I think they're really and they're really doing great work talking to the other side too. You know, because Drew mentioned how he would like to go to Nashville and or hang out back in Tennessee and be able to talk more again to conservatives and stop with the with these sort of uh, isolated realities that we all kind of live in, a.k.a. our bubbles. They're living in the state where it matters, you yeah. know, where your opinion really can make a difference in someone's belief system. Absolutely. So enjoy this conversation. We talk about what's going on in Syria. We talk about the minimum wage. We talk a little bit about CPAC. If you didn't have a chance to see CPAC, check it out. Uh, Trump is definitely running in 2024. It doesn't look like there's going to be a third party. And we talk about this in this conversation. But one interesting point is they are not even hiding their desire to gerrymander and to redistrict this entire country. So the Republican Party, as Stacey Abrams got the voter drive out and got people to register, they're going about it their way in a way that is much more um, almost powerful in a sense, because it's going to be legal. It'll be legally binding. The more that they gerrymander and redistrict to, uh, to get control of the house and the Senate once again. So we shall see what happens with them. Either way, if you didn't check out CPAC, I'm sure you can find the highlights and, uh, Maybe pour yourself a nice glass of whiskey. What do you think? I I did it sober, and it was a terrible idea. <laughs> All right, everyone. Enjoy this conversation with Trey and Drew. Okay, now it's time for my conversation with two of the three liberal rednecks I am honored to have with me, Drew Morgan and Trey Crowder. Drew and Drew, Drew and Trey, thank you so much for coming on this show and being true. Absolutely, buddy. Yeah, thanks for having us. And of yeah. course, I must mention Corey Ryan Forrester. He is another person who tours with y'all. 
uh, during the liberal redneck live show. So I just don't want to leave him out because then that's how groups break up. And then the next thing you know, everyone's fighting. And now you guys have a reality television show and you're more successful than ever before. Yeah, well, Corey would be upset if he knew you left him out, even though he's, you know, you guys have never met and he would have no reason to expect that you would remember him. But if you didn't, even though you've never met him, if you didn't remember him, that would be a problem for Corey. So I understand the mind of an entertainer and I desperately try to hop over all the pitfalls that are set it that are in said mind just so I can stay on the good graces of people who perform because when they go crazy, they get guns. Let's talk about what's going on. Right now, in this country, Joe Biden, I'm with the liberal rednecks. We just had a couple of bombs blast in Syria, 17 people dead. Of course, this goes against a lot of what people want to see, specifically on the left. And now we have to include the anti-war right that was supportive of Donald Trump. We'll also talk a little bit about what happened in CPAC. But what do you all think, just, just... Monday morning quarterback, you look at the news, you see we have 17 more people dead in Syria. The Biden administration increasingly hawkish, and I think they're going to stay that way as the Democratic Party is officially the party of Bill Crystal, at least in a national security sense. What did you guys think when you saw, uh, and I'll direct it towards Drew first, what did you what did you think when you saw these bombs blasting in Syria, and what did you think this was going to mean for the Biden administration? Did you think this is going to Is this something that's uh, he basically did promise going back to the Obama foreign policy? So was this something we should have expected a month in? It's pretty damn fast. These bombs burst up. My first thought was, I guess, damn already. I guess Raytheon was like, you know, tapping their fucking watches. (laughs) We've invested a lot here. Uh, We've got our guy in there. I don't know. I, I wasn't surprised. I think I was a little bit surprised by the speed. I, I guess I thought that with everything going on domestically, all the um, topics that are hot topics right now, yeah, that he would wait. Uh, now that's not to say that I just assume every international decision is is just completely made that you know that hollowly, but I kind of do, and I kind of thought I was so I was a little surprised by the speed with which he's gone back to it. And of course, the entire thing is trying to get the Iranians back to the table, right? Because uh, the Biden administration blames the Trump administration for tearing up the Iranian deal, for better or for worse. That deal, at the very least, at the very least, got the Iranians talking to diplomats. However, I mean, Trey, the response—if you want someone to come to the table to speak with you. I still have got to imagine there's a diplomatic way to get the Iranians in line. They're already completely suffocated. The sanctions have worked. They got no freaking money coming in or out unless it's illegal money. They are totally freaking broke. Why bomb Syria in order to get the Iranians to the table? That's This is the military argument for why they did it. But to me, again, it's just ass backwards thinking. How can't diplomacy work here? I mean, I would love it if diplomacy was more of a thing, too, but I think it's a little bit of a... What is it? When all, when you're a hammer, all you serve, when all you have is hammers, I'm not high. I'm not the high one here. Y'all know the one about hammers and nails. When all you have is you hammers, be, everything yeah. you see is you're a nail a hammer. or something like that. Not a diplomat. Yeah. <laughs> you guys right. know what I'm talking about? We're like, that's what we do. <laughs> we bought, we bomb people. I, and like the shit Drew said about the defense contractors and all that stuff yep. or whatever. It's just like, you know, we bomb first and ask questions later. Typically I like I was, 
yeah, I'm disappointed too, but I'm never surprised by moves like this. But uh, yeah, it's a bummer because I had been, I, I was one of the ty- like, you know, I was a Bernie guy and pretty far left and everything. But as soon as the primary was a done deal, I jumped on the, you know, I was very pro Joe because, right. you know, it's better than the alternative. And I was always making the arguments of like, well, I think he, the party as a whole and, and Biden himself, they've been, dra- they've kind of been dragged further to the left by everything that's happened with Bernie and, you know, AOC and those types. And then, so I was like, you know, maybe it won't be as, you know, uh, as bad as you might expect possibly and then when he first got in and he had all those executive orders and stuff and just literally the fact that he was doing things like quickly you know things that seemed good attempting to undo trump policies and whatnot i was i was you know i was into that i was like see look it's going it's going well it's going all right but i knew it wouldn't be long before something like this happened because it's just you know that's just how we roll and of course, when you rule by the executive order, as easy as easy as it is to sign them, it is just as easy to erase that signature with another signature. Of right. course, Biden also has now just backtracked on the borders. We have the kids, the kids in cages, which has almost become cliche. These children are in prison, separated from their parents. Biden stopped that momentarily, and now one month in, that's it. That is now open again. So if you're looking at this from a perspective of someone who is an anti-war, pro-immigrant, appropriate, rational Democrat, what the hell is going on to start this damn thing off? Because I'm telling you, you look at CPAC, you look what happened with these, say whatever you want to say about them, but they are on freaking board. And Donald Trump got 75 million freaking votes, and there's no guarantee uh, that 2024, he might not just completely recoup all of those votes. And if the Democrats screw this up, there could be yeah. hell to pay. And we're going to know sooner than later when it comes to the midterms, which are already right around the corner, because that's American politics for you. But if you look at what Biden just did, I, I just it, one of the things that was aggravating and one of the areas that uh, I think Trump really was able to capitalize on the um disillusionment disillusionment of the American people was media coverage, right? And if you look at the way the media has covered these recent airstrikes compared to when Trump wrongly bombed the airfields uh, in the Middle East as well, talking about how Trump didn't have congressional approval, how could he do that? This is unconstitutional. What happened? We wake up one other day, a different white dude is in charge, and all of a sudden, He's just doing what's best for national security. It it is just so freaking aggravating to see the double talk from media happen freaking overnight. And how do you I mean, Trey and and Drew, you guys are on the ground with, you know, people of the South and and with people who are really just I don't want to use the cliche hashtag real Americans, air quotes, you know, authentic American traditions, all these things. I, I mean, how do you speak to those people when they're rightful when they have rightful indignation where it's like, fuck you media, how are you now just changing sides overnight? I think people are so freaking frustrated with that and it's hard for, what do we even do about it? Well, yeah, you can't, you can't bullshit quote unquote hashtag real Americans. I mean, you can to a certain extent, but at some point they're going to realize that you are. And the wild thing to me, Ben is it's not just the media. You get on Twitter and Just like big name or high follow count Democrats are doing it. And it's weird to see because it's like 
you can say you can go personal with it. You can be like, don't you personally have more integrity than to just be a little bit consistent? But then you could also right. go bigger with it and say, all right, well, throw integrity out the window. We're just talking about how to win over, as you talk about everyday Americans. What a terrible way to do it. <laughs> yeah. It's bad PR. If you're gonna lie, lie better. Right. The, the the better lies exist. Yeah. And of course, now we have entire track records because people have decided to write down every single thought that they have with no uh, hindsight in mind or no understanding of how that might look in the future. You have the near attendance of the world deleting a thousand tweets like no one would notice. It's a public platform. <laughs> right. People know, especially when you're near attendance, the cover up is so freaking unbelievably moronic. It's just like Nixon is rolling over in his grave being like, why did it better? You know, like these people yeah. are so freaking stupid. There are leftists who entire platform was built on Twitter from screen taking screen caps of near attendant tweets. So like quite literally, they have a whole trail of them on you, girl. What are you thinking? And so you have someone like a David French who criticized Donald Trump for the ta- uh, for the attacks. Uh, when he had the 57, I think it was 57, 59 Tomahawk missiles. I don't even believe anyone died, maybe one or two people. And of course, that's enough. And now naturally, we have the 17 people dead. One of the interesting approaches that they always talked about or that the the media was talking about with the with the most recent bombing was he did it appropriately. The Biden administration, they called they called Russia. They called the Iranians. They called the Iraqis. They also <laughs> bombed far away from Iraq. So that was very nice. They killed 17 people, so 17 people didn't get the memo. So they basically killed 17 people that weren't made privy to the information that the U.S. was about to bomb the shit out of their building. So they probably right. just killed a bunch of janitors. I was about to say, yeah, I wonder who those people were specifically. Yeah, like, who are the people who didn't get the memo? You know, it's not the uh, executives or administrators or whatever. It's the people that they, you know, <laughs> neglected to inform, i.e. <laughs> yeah. janitors, people just, people just working there, you know, just the construction workers on the Death Star or whatever, although I ran, you know, Syria is not the Death Star. You know what I mean? Of course. It's just the the whole, you know, he called and told them he was going to bomb them, guys. Thing yeah. is so funny to me. It reminds me of, like, true story. Once when I was a freshman or a sophomore in high school, this upperclassman got mad at me over a joke I made, which I literally don't even remember. It was just some stupid joke. And he told me that he was going to whoop my ass, you know, yeah. like after school that day. Of and course. Like, that didn't make me feel any better about it at all you know what i mean like he you know he he did me the service of telling me like that's you ass whooping buddy you know whatever and i I was like oh well well at least uh, you know at least he gave me fair warning yeah that wasn't even a bomb it's like the bullies or the uh the seniors from the movie dazed and confused the last day of eighth grade or whatever it was before the guys get to uh before they the kids get to high school and they're like fry you guys are gonna fry tonight it's like you don't even have to tell me. Actually, the the waiting for it is worse than the punishment. Yeah, so right. just go ahead and do it. <laughs> Always. So, but yeah. that is what's so ridiculous is they take everyone is trying to. I was listening to uh, General MacArthur, and uh, this dude's about as he is a full on freaking hawk to the point where he's probably half a half a moron because hawks are actually notoriously stupid animals, which is interesting. But talking <laughs> about how yeah they took all the right approaches, they did it, they made all the phone calls. Well, why didn't they make a phone call to the frickin' Congress? Why didn't they try to make any of the proper steps? When are we... Is the idea of a president giving up on their war powers, it's just completely never going to happen? I, I, yeah. I guess in my life, is it just done? Is that conversation yes. over? Has that, has that boat sailed? 
Yeah, I think so because you know, again, guys, hammers and nails. I'm gonna keep coming back to this, but no, it's like that's our. <laughs> that's what we have. Do you know what a nail in is this, as America? Do you know what I mean? Like we got this huge debt, national debt, and all this stuff, but but we sure do have a lot of bombs and all this. Like that's the one thing that we have over pretty much everyone else is uh, we will can and will obliterate you with our military if need be. And pretty much no one, whatever our reputation is now globally, almost no one disputes that. I feel like everybody kind of realizes that we do have that capacity. And, but that's the only thing that we're still undeniably at the top of, do you know what I mean? Like we don't have, like that's what we're defined by now, I think as a country on the global stage. So it, yeah, no, I don't think I don't foresee any, American president just like you said, giving up, giving up their war powers or, you know, trying to go a more dovey peaceful way about it. I mean, and I, Trump, you know, he had the mother of all bombs as we all recall. Uh, but then after that, he didn't, you know, he mostly fucked up all the other stuff, right? Like, right. Well, <laughs> Trump was just scary because of all the uh, the nuclear war talk on Twitter right. with uh, world leaders. That was a little unnerving when people are like, the president's talking about nuking people. Yes, that's scary. So I understand these. Uh, the grass is well, not not greener in this case, but uh, not to uh, not to forget at the same time how nerve-wracking the trump foreign policy was because of course it was at the whim of of his uh yes of his how hungry he was that day 100 percent. but we're kind of back to business as usual now do you know right. what i mean like but in that's terms a, of such this a depressing of thought and yeah. what right, i was going to sure. say is like this is why it's a little <laughs> bigger than trump and biden uh everything trey said about america in general is absolutely true on an international level we that's what we do now you know that's how we spread democracy one fucking bomb at a time right but on top of that and this touches to what you're asking about and it's bigger than trump and biden i guess it was probably bush through the patriot act that really expanded the way the executive branch can is that correct absolutely yeah and dick cheney and all that stuff was you know, help to put this idea, supreme executive power or whatever, basically, you right. know, that the president can kind of just do what they want. Well, 9-11, 9-11 was an event that was has been greatly uh, utilized. That's for damn for sure. sure. Yeah. Right. So going back to my political science degree days, one of the, like the number one lessons, this has nothing to do with America. This is just humans. Power just doesn't just give up power. That's not how it works. So no, the presidency itself as an institution is never giving that back. The court or Congress is going to have to force their hand and the court's just not going to do it. If the court was going to do it, they should have done it immediately. They could have said, hey, war powers belong to Congress, but also someone has to bring that lawsuit. Someone in Congress has to sue the fucking president. During wartime. So my point is, we don't have an apparatus that is equipped to take power away from. And that's what Dick Cheney realized. Dick Cheney realized, just do it, George. They're not like, just do it. And then let them fucking sue the president for defending America. See how that goes. It would work. Absolutely. Because if you're a politician, we're in the middle of a war. You're known for suing the president. It's probably not going to be great in a campaign ad. Exactly. And that's what's so unfortunate is that all of this stuff really does just come down to 30-second campaign ads here or there. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Like, well, I, I think that now you've got, and I feel, I'm thinking of people on the right, like uh, Bobert or whatever in Colorado and some of them who almost seem oh. like, 
almost seem like it, uh, like serving in Congress is like a stepping stone to being like, you know, a talking head or a provocateur or whatever, you know, they're, they're more interested in just like notoriety or however you want, you know, having a, a, a name and a following or infamy or whatever, than they are about anything related to the job. I don't mean all of them, but I'm saying it's like a new breed mm. of them that are just baldly in it for the clicks or whatever. It's the clout. Well, absolutely. Of course, Marjorie Taylor Greene, everything yeah. she does is for the clicks. It's all for the clout. It's She's the Takashi 6 9 of politicians. Nothing is good. Everything she says is bad, and she's a troll, and that's how she's gaining her gaining her uh, gaining her infamy as you mentioned i do have to give uh, aoc a little bit of credit here on the program i know i don't do that all the time but she did stick to her guns when it comes to uh the denouncing the bombing in syria and that was at least good to see and you just wonder again what powers are biden or what will his administration be listening to and just this first month my God, it just seems like he might have some people in the room that need to get the hell out of there. But uh, who knows what's going to happen with that? Either way, we will continue to cover what uh, Biden does in Syria. Will this bring the Iranians back to the negotiation table? Uh, do they try to get the Iranian resolution 2.0? We'll see. Again, just to put a button on this and we'll talk about the stimulus bill because we got to talk about all that stuff, too, because I'm going to keep you guys here for as long as possible because I'm just going to torture you guys. <laughs> no, that's what we do, buddy. But will it work? Who knows? It's yet to be seen. One thing we know for freaking sure is once again, the media shows you the bombs going off. They show you uh, the bombs. They we talk about how beautiful the U.S. military is, but we never show the devastation on the ground. I haven't seen one freaking photo of 17 bodies dead. I haven't seen the destruction. They don't show you anything. You can watch it on BBC occasionally. You can watch it maybe on Al Jazeera, which is actually good to watch when it comes to U.S. foreign policy. Because again, what happens after the bombs land? And you, how is it better? How is that a better solution than uh, than the diplomatic approach? I will never understand. But anyway, we will definitely watch the Biden administration. And if he goes full freaking hawk, I, it's going to be difficult to uh, it's going to be difficult for him to uh, maintain support. That's what I think. Yeah, but especially because it's going to be difficult for him to show a win that quickly. Yeah. Like whatever happens, Trump or whoever will be able to spin it again. Even so, even people who are pro-war are going to be like, well, he's fucking up how you do it. Exactly. And then in this binary system we live in, the anti-war left, which I actually think hasn't had a home in 20 years, 21 years. Right. Um, I don't, I don't know. What are they going to do? Right. Well, OK. Well, that's actually what I was about to bring up. Like, I'm not this will be unsurprising to Drew. This is a version of conversation he and I have had a million times amongst right. ourselves. But like, I'll just be honest with you. you mentioned earlier. It's like, hey, who knows what's going to happen in 2024? It's not we're not out of the woods yet with Trump or Trumpism or whatever. And I wonder if how much knowing that is playing into where their heads are at, they being the Democratic Party, because I'm just saying, I'll say right now, he would have to, he'd have to do a lot of shit for me to not show up in 2024 if it, if, if Trump runs again, or it's like, you know. What do you think a, about someone like a Nikki Haley? What about a Nikki Haley? If she shows up on the ticket against somebody who they're already kind of saying, uh, uh, Kamala might, uh, Kamala, Kamala, Miss Harris, Kamala, I think, yeah. Kamala, what they're already saying she might run in 2024. If it's, if it, I mean, we're speculating, oh my God, he's only been right. in power for a month, but we're nerds. Um, but if it was Harris Haley, 
Oh my goodness. I, I just don't know. Cause I think we, do we agree? And, uh, that the, the, the nation as a whole is, is a center right country. Is that yeah. a safe, is that a safe assertion? I agree with that. Definitely in terms of like the actual policies and what ends up happening. I mean, yes, in general, yes. like, you know, cause it's a conservative yeah, a lot of, country. A lot of liberals, a lot of Democrats are really just moderates at best, you know, and then uh, a lot of Republicans are super far to the right. And you have very, very few people who are actually left to like my satisfaction or I'm sure you guys as well. You know, I don't know, Trey. I can never I don't trust people who hide behind southern accents. Next thing you know, you're going to be talking about a whole series of different things. And now somebody's taking a, a crap in my bathroom. I don't think so. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Mom. First things first, thank you. It's my one-year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, Mom. Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. But yeah, that'll be a fascinating thing to see what happens politically with the with the anti-war sentiment in this country. Um, because I don't, maybe it's just generational. I mean, I'm almost forty now, so 9/11 and the uh, response to 9/11 was the greatest mistake in American foreign policy history, as far as I'm concerned. Maybe only second to Vietnam. Yeah. And uh, I haven't forgotten, I haven't forgiven the Warhawks who are still alive and in power. I mean, hell, For they're, sure. getting more, they're getting different hearts every day. Dick Cheney is technically younger now. Well, how do, what about like uh, Obama and what I mean? Like in 2008, I was the I was in college at the time and I was the Obama equivalent of like a Bernie bro. Do you know what I mean? I, I was yeah. hardcore Obama. I literally was like, this dude is going to save this country. This oh, is, I loved Obama. And, yeah, I, and, and yeah. then, but, uh, so then he became president, was president for eight years, and he did a whole lot of things that pissed me off. And I wasn't like I didn't have like a public platform at the time, but I never hid my criticism of Obama or anything and with the drone strikes and all that stuff. I never liked that. I never supported that. Right. You know, however, obviously. The moment Trump came in, you know, I missed Barack Obama so terribly much. Right. And I still think, and like generally speaking, looking back on Obama, who was pretty moderate, all things considered, yeah. I still feel generally positive about his, you know, presidency. And he had all, all the drone strikes and that shit the whole time. So I'm saying like, I think it, there's just so many other factors. Yeah. I'm not trying to excuse it. I'm saying it just depends on so many other things and what happens with all this other horrible shit we have going on and how that is addressed. Well, Trey, you you bring up a great point when it comes to Obama. 
you know, I think about this when when I started doing like stand up comedy and stuff, and you know, some things go good and some things go horribly, and I would have one show that was awesome and the next show was horrible, and I say, what the fuck, man? Why isn't it like working? Uh, the way that I wanted it to, and I would get so nervous about making everybody. You got, how are you going to make a hundred people laugh? That's crazy. And then I realized the most important thing is: Do they want to be around you? Do they want to be in your presence? It's the same thing with what we're doing right now, podcast. If we were shrieking in somebody's ears, they would pull the fucking plug out and say, "I can't listen to this anymore." Do they want to be around you? Do do you got a good aura? Do you got a good vibe? And when it came to Obama. Yes, the drone wars, dirty wars, great documentary, completely holds up. Some of the policies were dog crap, but at least it was a presence of a family of just something very American about the Obama administration. You know what I'm saying? At its yeah. core, you could look at it and say, that's a nice family. It's dope. It's a fucking black family. First ever. Uh, really just beautiful children, super quaint Americana, something that W. Bush sort of had as well in, in, in a slightly different way with, with, um, with Laura and everything like that. And, um, and then you just got totally shaken to the core with, with Trump. And it was right. like that whole, like the, 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 the spirit uh, the the you know the presence that he brought on this country was so much different, and, yeah. and it's hard to articulate how much that works and how much that doesn't matter and all of that kind of stuff. But that that's what I would say when it comes to Obama. At the very least, he felt like okay. Well, if he had done that while raising minimum wage right. and the Affordable Care Act was Medicare for all, which is something I'm for now. And and you know, full disclosure here, I think I'm a little further left than Trey, so. Understand that my disappointments in Obama might come from a place of wanting different things. But for me, it's like it wasn't just that. I thought he sucked at home. Bailing out the banks was garbage. Right. You're I right. think I think what I'm angriest at Barack Obama about, other than the drone war extensions and killing so many innocent people, is I think he fucked up our generation in terms of political engagement. And a lot mm. of us. A lot of us doubled down. I think he pushed some people further left and they got disgusted with the establishment. And this is why DSA takes off. This is why Bernie Sanders becomes not just a laughing stock, et cetera, et cetera. Sure, so there sure. was some good in that. But I think he made a lot of people nihilists. Uh, and yeah, that yeah. leads to Trump. And that stuff bothers the shit out of me. Um I'm going to be honest. I don't know where we, where I was going with well, that. I, so, well, and, I, and, and full disclosure, Drew has had a five milligrams of edibles, so he's going to be the one telling all the truths. But occasionally, <laughs> even truths get derailed by one's own brain. Right. No. Yeah, you're right about all that with Obama. I was so I, it, I, I, I totally right on. Yeah. Yeah, and I um he was the first. You know, I still had that naivete when Obama ran in 2008. Oh, I was 22. You know, and I, like I said, I fully believed in him. And by the time his presidency was over, I was like. I'm not a nihilist, but I very much was like, oh, yeah, there's that just isn't going to be a thing. Someone who actually comes in is just, you know, sweeping change across the board for the better for more people. Um, but I was so before Obama, I hated George. Uh, when George W. Bush was the president, I couldn't at that time have imagined hating a president more. Do you know what I mean? I, I still think that George do, W. Bush is the worst I, I in my life. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that like, and, and now I think Bush is fine. I don't think he's fine. He's still, <laughs> he draws he, pictures of dogs. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Shut yeah. up. But, but, but I'm saying like you were saying, Ben, about Trump and just how much he just changed the whole paradigm of like what 
a U.S. president could possibly be. Do you know what I mean? It just yeah. made me like you hate him more. I, Bush, Trump. Do you hate Trump, Trump more? Yes, and that's what I say. It right. Trump made like I just I never thought it could be that bad with anyone. <laughs> I really didn't. And now we've seen that it can. And now that I know that it can, I'm just like. All right. I know where I was going earlier, and you're not wrong. On a gut level, I despise Donald Trump so much more than George W. Bush. But then when I think about what they actually did and accomplished or didn't accomplish, yeah, right. I'm like, well, let's give it a few more years because Bush did some gnarly things. And this We're is still where I was, in it today. Right. This is where I was going to go earlier. I It's my personal mission to get people to stop as best they can caring about the he or she's a candidate you can have a beer with. I don't want to have a beer with any of these fucking people. I want to have a beer (laughs) with you guys. Like the people that I like having beers with, they can't run the country. (laughs) We can't let them do that. Like think about the most fun you've ever had having beers. I promise you that person shouldn't be in charge of the goddamn PTA, much less the country. So, and and I know why we do that. I know that we've got the American apple pie, JFK. Yes. He died a martyr, so he didn't get old and red-faced and rapey like Kennedys do if they don't die young. Well, he so, got a lot accomplished in his early years. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to take away from his legacy. But um, my point is just we've. I think we've got to try to let go of that. It's hard, but we've got to try to. And I honestly think if we do – we won't have to deal with people like Donald Trump because we hate him for the same reason his fans love him. No right. one was assessing, should he do this? He shouldn't hate him or love him. He didn't need to be president. Right. Well, you mentioned, Drew, the key word, I guess, that we've stumbled upon is nihilism. <laughs> and my concern going back to, again, modern modern American politics as of the past month, um, will this breed more nihilism if, the border prisons stay open for children. If he doesn't figure out what the hell is going on with immigration, we need a streamline to citizenship. We need DACA immediately. We need DACA on steroids in this country right now. We need criminal justice reform. There ain't even no there there's even any justice in the criminal system. It's just the criminal. We need criminal system reform. Um, we don't need to have a foreign war. And the key word there, the optimal word, is nihilism. Could they? Is it possible? Is the biggest threat to the Biden administration creating more of that sentiment within the American people? And if that does happen, then do we have more Marjorie Taylor Greens? Do we have more psycho Boberts? Yeah. I'm watching C-SPAN, or I'm sorry, I was watching CPAC on C-SPAN, and these mother crazy ass people were talking about we're redistricting, we're gerrymandering. They were openly talking about. Um, fraudulent election tactics and then in the next sentence saying and we and the election was stolen as well and i'm like you motherfuckers are the ones who have created the gerrymandering you did the redistricting you have created this entire polarized country we live in but if biden doesn't appease any of the people that that helped put him in office any of the people who held their nose and voted for him because they hated trump does you know Will that nihilism, will that breed nihilism? And does that nihilism then continue to breed life into this really crazy Trumpism Republican Party? Which, by the way, the Republican Party, one thing we learned from CPAC, not to continue to talk here, but one thing we learned was Trump is not starting a third party and Trump plans on running in 2024 within the Republican Party. Yeah. So it does if, if Biden creates so much nihilism, is that the energy that Trump just needs to go and 
tap right back into it and pour himself a beer? First of all, I think yes, for sure. But I'll go even a little bit further than that. If they didn't do that, now the Democrats have, you know, uh, Congress and the White House and everything. If they actually did appease the people you're talking about, the people on the left who held their nose and voted for Biden, if they did things that those people support, I think, of course, I'm a liberal. So, of course, I think this. I think the effects of that are going to be beneficial for most people in this country. Do you know what I mean? Like putting more money in in regular people's pockets is not going to piss them off at the end of the day or providing more health care for people, you know, if they did things that the left really wants to see them do, I don't see this huge backlash from it. If those policies are as effective as we all think that they would be, do you know what I mean? Like I know they'll, I know they'll scream about socialism and that type of thing, but if we'd stop, if we being the left, if the left just says fuck trying to work with them, and just did that just did made some actual liberal policies and pushed them through. I think that it would help people and you wouldn't get this type of like big uh, backlash or repercussions that they seem, you know, to be worried about happening. So not only will not appeasing the actual left be a bad thing for the administration, if that's what they do. But I think even further than that, going out of their way to appease the actual left would be the best thing they could do because I don't see it having this huge negative effect on them that they all seem so afraid of, afraid of with people in like Clay County, Tennessee, where I'm from, you know, like, right. If you, if you've got flyers in Georgia coming out that are saying socialists want to take your cheeseburgers because of some <laughs> like farm bill, anybody who will believe that, ain't voting for you anyway. But if you can give people like what Trey's talking about, like these checks, it's such a political layup. I mean, I don't know what you got to do to get it passed. It it reminds me of freaking Pat. I'm wearing my John's. I'm wearing full New York Knicks garb today, but it reminds (laughs) me of Patrick Ewing, freaking Eastern Conference Finals, man. Dunk the goddamn basketball. Why are you trying to do a layup? Gotta dunk that shit. (laughs) You're right. Give the American people two grand. It's a freaking home run. And then you won't have even people who don't consider themselves Democrats. I'm not saying they'll magically vote for uh, Kamala Harris if that's who runs next. I'm saying maybe they're not fomenting at the mouth at a Trump right. rally next time. Right. Maybe right. they're not retweeting this and tweeting that and conjuring up more and more spectacle for him to get more airtime. That stuff plays. I mean, our goal a lot of times is just get people to stay home, which, by the way, we know from talking to people back home, that happened this time. A lot of people were like, I couldn't bring myself to vote for Biden, but I didn't vote for Trump. That helps. Right, right. You know, it's interesting. We now have the stimulus, obviously, $1.9 trillion. Everyone's going crazy with that number. If you actually look at the number as a whole, again, Seven hundred billion dollars a year for the military. So you double mm-hmm. that up over I mean, whatever. I think that's kind of a straw man argument. But when it comes to the fifteen dollar minimum wage in there, I don't have a problem with the Democrats conceding one point where it's like, get that out. Then if that's a poison pill too much, just get this freaking bill passed. And when it comes to the fifteen dollar minimum wage, I'm interested to hear your guys' thoughts because I am very. You know, I'm a small business owner as well with my boys. Um, a lot of businesses, restaurants, and stuff couldn't afford it though. And so one of the concerns with the $15 minimum wage is if, if you're Walmart, why aren't you paying your employees $40 an hour? But if you're, if you, if you need to pay your porter, 
and you run a bar, you can't afford to pay your porter $15 an hour because then you got to pay everybody else more because the chef isn't going to make the same amount as a porter and so on and so forth. So I don't even mind if the Democrats take that out. The most important thing is just getting the freaking money to the American people right now and we can figure out the uh, the minimum wage thing. Does it have to happen? Do you feel like it has to happen with this stimulus bill? Would you guys be upset if the Democrats take the $15 minimum wage out? Because I am fine with it. But I also understand this is a big uh, it's a big sticking point. Uh, I mean, I, I would love to see it stay in. Would I, you know, throw my hands up and say, fuck this if they took it out to get the thing done overall? I mean, no, you know, I, I definitely could live with that. But I think that I mean, 15, I don't know. I don't know enough about economics to really sit here and break it down, but I know that it could be a hell of a lot higher than it is yeah. right now. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, well, Fernando and I were talking before the show um, and just discussing how didn't they tie minimum wage with um, with inflation? How right. didn't they tie minimum wage immediately when they created it with inflation? Because it should be freaking much, much higher given inflation. Right. That's what I'm saying. um I saw a, thing, a uh, Republican congressman, I think from Colorado, but I don't remember which one. I don't remember his name, but he was talking about, um, you know, that classic Republican argument of like, look, I worked my way through college and paid my way through it on minimum wage. You know, I, I worked minimum wage all through college and I paid my tuition and I got through and everything was fine. And yeah. but but he went to Colorado State, I think it was. And when he went there uh tuition yearly for Colorado state for in state, whatever was like $900 for the year and minimum wage was, you know, whatever it was, $3 and something at that time or whatever. And now, uh, now tuition for Colorado state for a year is like $15,000 a year or whatever. And minimum wage is 725 or whatnot. So it's a moot point in my opinion, to a certain extent, it's gone. They're not going to put it in the damn bill. I'm furious about that. I think I'm a little bit stronger than you guys on it. Uh, and I hope that they do something. Uh, and you know what? It can be its own thing. We can put it in a bill where that's the main question we're asking, and we can have these debates. We can see if we need to carve out exceptions for sure. the small. Listen, like right. if, you, if they came to me tomorrow and they were like, Walmart has to pay $40 an hour and yeah. Ben Kissel can pay whatever he wants. I would be on the fucking moon. Right. But they're not. And you gonna, could do that, right? You could like, do no reason you couldn't that. do something like that. Well, that's the only thing also, because that's the scary, the, the nefarious angle to it is the Walmarts of the world. Some of these corporations are pushing for that $15 minimum wage because then they can continue. You know, th- this American cycle of people who work at Walmart also get food stamps and buy the and yeah. spend those food stamps at Walmart. I mean, this right. shit is freaking nefarious and nasty. Yeah. So there is a reason to these large corporations. They understand that this could be a massive amount of power given to them as well. Absolutely. I mean, these large corporations just always freaking win. Always. Well, they because they write the rules. I mean, right. going back to Obama and the banking laws, when you let Citibank literally write the new bank, literally write, like oh. they send in this list of things and that just becomes the law. It's out the window. Everything we're talking about is moot. You and I can fight all day. I can stand on the table and say, Ben, you got to pay your employees more. And you can be like, I'm paying them. For- None of that shit matters. We're right. living in a goddamn circus. Sorry, I'm getting very upset. And to be fair, I, we do pay our employees well. I think everyone I'm is happy. You do. I think I'm everyone is happy. Do. But I'm saying you and I can have these discussions. Exactly. We can debate. At the end of the day, at some point in the last 30 or so years, we started living in something less than a democracy. Plutocracy? I, I still believe that America's votes have some weight. 
And I don't know if that's just me refusing mm-hmm. to become a total nihilist. So I, it's a hybrid, no. in my opinion. Well, of course. And uh, and naturally, I think the uh, another key word there is hypocrisy when it comes to our democracy. We're seeing in the binary world, you know, there's a reason they divvy up these issues in certain ways that make it impossible for you to get what you want. Right. And so you have to you have to deal with one way or the other way. And you have to you have to accept a lot of bullshit in order to get the one little kernel that you want. But you got a bunch of crap around it. Exactly. Yeah. Because that's what they do. You know, port barrel politics and everything. Everybody wants to put in, you know, their pet project or poison pills or whatever, which makes it impossible for anything to ever get done. But like what Drew brought up earlier, what you're saying, but like because of the, the binary nature of our politics, it's like it's treated as. Well, we either go up to $15 an hour or nothing happens when there's a whole spectrum of things that could happen in the middle, including carving out exceptions for small businesses or whatever, you know, because Walmart can sure as shit afford it. But like small business owners, some of them might not be able to. That can be addressed. It's not like that's impossible to address. You know what I mean? But it gets treated like that sometimes. It's like it's either this or it's not. (laughs) And that's just how we look. Exactly. One thing I just was reminded of, and I'm going to make a tiny plug, but it's for a dumb joke. We started a, a GoFundMe to buy Joe Manchin. And the reason we did that, so you can go to, yeah, me and my buddy David did that. Go to GoFundMe.com slash Joe Manchin, of course, senator. the senator out of West Virginia. I'm sure people know. Just Yeah, and we did that when it was, he seemed to be the, going to be the swing boat on a lot of the checks, right? It was like, yeah. hey. Let's compile our money. We'll make a $5 investment per person. We'll get 2000 back. That was the joke or whatever. But but the way it wasn't a joke, and this is getting to what you're talking about, what made me think of it is like the fact that lobbying has become such a key proponent and we don't have a way really to do that. There's no like other than unions, which I believe strongly in. And by the way, that's one good thing Joe Biden has done. Let's give him credit for that. He made a statement that was pretty strong for the Alabama unions. And, and if you look, and I, and again, everything with balance, but I completely agree with you. Look at what uh, Scott Walker did when he was governor of Wisconsin, dismantling the teachers union and so many different unions around Wisconsin. It devastated the workforce and unions uh, are a strong, you need a strong union in order to, uh, to protect fairness for the workers. I totally believe that. Well, it's all we have to fight lobbyists, right? you know, and, and we can't actually buy Joe Manchin. It's illegal. I'm probably going to get arrested. <laughs> but what do we do? Like, that's what we were talking about. If you've got a good idea and you've got 70% of Americans on board, if corporations don't want it, what do you do? Right. Well, what are so again, I'm speaking with the liberal rednecks. Uh, we Drew and Trey check out everything that they do. It's fantastic. And I just think super important to get. Uh, just different narratives out there. And sometimes the voice doesn't match the politics or the pigment doesn't match the views. So that's always an interesting thing. But when it comes to your, I'm going to call them constituents because it's a political show, a.k.a. fan base, a.k.a. family, a.k.a. friends. What do they think? Like, do you what what would they like to see happen right now? in this country to help them out the most. What are some of the uh, cliche kitchen table issues to use the cliche kitchen table issues? Cause no one sits around a kitchen table anymore. What are some of the television sitting around the television, watching thousand pound sisters conversations? What are those like? What do people want in the areas that you, when you guys go home, what do your family and friends say? Because it doesn't they want, seem like- they want free healthcare, but they don't want them thousand pound sisters to get it. Cause that ain't fucking fair. That's, that's the weird dichotomy <laughs> yeah, of Southerners, man. 
No, he's right. That's what I was saying about like just if you're in a position to just do it, meaning get these policies passed, then just do it because so many of the people, yeah, people would oppose like uh, any kind of UBI or giving them a thousand dollars a month. They'll be like, well, <laughs> you know, the individual person would say, well, yeah, I could really use that, pay my bills or, you know, replace my tires on my truck or right. whatever, you know, that are bald. But I don't think it's a good idea because fucking sorry ass Jim down the road, he'll blow all his. He on, don't work. Yeah, he don't on. work and all now, this ben, stuff. That's not our fans, though. To be yeah, fair right. to your yeah, question, yeah. you asked about our fans, and I wanted to make a joke and because I'm a psychopath. I did that instead of answer your question. I apologize. I think our fans, it really does seem to be healthcare. I think that on the left in this yeah. country, especially the poor and the working left, as they started to realize that the insurance system really doesn't make sense oh. and that you can do uh, some sort of universal health care, everyone started to be like, wait a minute, the worst year or two years of my life that nearly ruined me financially and I was unhealthy. My God, how much better would it have gone if all I had to worry about was getting healthy? And if Biden doesn't get at least a single payer plan, I think that is going to be a massive blow to his entire presidency. Because you're right. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned how I would like the $1,000 bill or $1,000 check rather to offset the $1,000 bill I'm getting. But I would love that. But yeah, I don't like this person who gets it. But isn't that the same argument the right would make then about how if everyone is equal, everyone is poor. And uh, it's very similar, though. It's it's almost a self-inflicted gunshot wound where it's like, I'm not going to take it because I don't want you to have it because fuck you. And it's also like, well, then fuck me. Also, like going back to a minimum wage and where that argument is concerned, like, you know, you'll have like a like an EMT in uh, Putnam County, Tennessee, or something. It's like you mean to tell me you're saying that teenagers flipping burgers at McDonald's should get thirteen dollars an hour, fifteen dollars an hour, whatever. I'm a paramedic and I make eleven dollars an hour. Right. You think they deserve more for flipping burgers than I make for for you know helping to save people's lives or whatever? And of course, we're like, no. No, I don't think that. Like, right. I think you're both getting fucked. <laughs> you know, like both of you deserve better. And that's what I'm saying. You deserve better too. But people have, I guess it goes back to that sort of binary mentality that people, that Americans just tend to have or something because everybody wants to frame things in this, like uh, from this personal perspective of like helping somebody else out hurts them even though that's not what any of us are saying it's like no we want to help all of y'all right you know everybody except the fucking billionaires (laughs) and and again and and what we're basically just describing there is how you the scientific formula for nihilism Mm -hmm. that's the scientific formula for nihilism somebody who you don't think working hard you don't think they work hard you think they're less than you and all of a sudden they have a thousand dollar check as well which again doesn't go that far dog food alone with puffin and jerry my two guys they're little but puffin. they eat a lot i miss puffin i've been hi, thinking hi, about drew, him for two drew, days i had so much fun hanging out with you drew uh, and he's a good to... friend thank like you jerry drew better. oh drew drew i like puffin too <laughs> I, I am puffin i like jerry as well uh that's puffin <laughs> bye puffin bye guys that was my, that was my mick jagger voice come that's John, perfect come back mick jagger his dog everybody not oh yeah i named my dog everybody's listening like that is a fucking terrible mick jagger impersonation (laughs) i get mad on the internet somebody's asking me about how the fuck do you know what my dog talks like and they're like what are you talking about (laughs) is america's primary system working is the electoral college still the best process for electing a president 
could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Mom. First things first, thank you. It's my one-year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, Mom. Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. So we mentioned nihilism. We were talking about, uh, you know, what's going on right now within the, within the party and within, you know, you mentioned how, um, you know, people in this binary world and it's, it's crazy to, I almost feel like we're, we're dissing the mice for getting lost in the trap. You know, I almost feel like we're looking at scientific mice being like, you guys don't know how to get out of the thing that has no door because everything going back again, check out these clips. I'm not sure if they're even clips. I was watching CPAC because I'm a freaking monster and just the open uh, endorsement for gerrymandering, the open endorsement right. for redistricting, talking about how they're working on it right now and talking about how. It was they look at what happened in Georgia and the idea that what Stacey Abrams did is bad registering people to vote. They were bitching about how when you would go to the DMV, you could register to vote right at the DMV. They're like, that's ridiculous. It's too easy. I'm like, it's a freaking constitutional right. So I'm sorry. They have the right to do it easier, the better. Give me guns, but make it hard for me to vote. It makes no sense. And so it looks like when we talk about, you know, people living in this binary world, I almost have sympathy because. That's the that's the maze we're in, mm-hmm. whether it be yeah. media, political structures, uh, economics. I mean, the maze we're in is binary. So where else are we supposed to go? We can fantasize about having a third room all day, but no, we don't have it I, in the house. Right. Yeah. I know, well, that's like we were saying earlier about Biden and, you know, moderate Democrats and whatnot. And like I said, like I'll tell you right now, I'm a show back up if it's any kind of, you know, or Trump type situation because of it you know it's one or the other you know what i mean like i'm not happy about but it just is what it is and that's really depressing obviously sometimes but um yeah where are you drew where are you from i'm originally from sunbright tennessee you're tennessee Tennessee. and trey are you tennessee too salina tennessee we're actually as the crow flies we grew up about 50 or 60 miles apart uh from each other oh my and how does the crow fly well, I guess hopefully straight, but I never thought about that. Yeah, do crows fly straight? Maybe they don't. I know what they're he, very smart. What he smart. means, what he means is, is we're close, but it takes like two and a half hours because because it's no so direct rural route. and everything up there. Because you guys not, take crows, you guys attach yourselves to crows. And they, to it's crows. like the never-ending yes, story. And they fly us there. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Man, Tennessee is a weird place. But just just quickly, Tennessee. It's is it safe to say that's a purple state now? No, with, with no. Nashville growing, it, we're getting closer, but it's not quite purple, dude. I'm I, I, Drew. Please make me feel better if that's what you're going to do. I feel fucking terrible about Tennessee lately uh, because it, when we had uh, our Republican governor Haslam for a while, I didn't I didn't like him. He was a Republican, but he did some pretty okay things. We were like the first state to make community college totally free for any cool. resident of the state, you know, and there was some, you know, 
pretty okay policies happening. And I felt all right about Tennessee as far as red states go. But then we elected one of the worst senators in the whole set up marcia blackburn oh my the, goodness in the oh, midterms and then our our now then we elected the governor named bill lee who's a lunatic conservative bit you know a big business big I think he's the worst governor in America. and really? i i feel really really pessimistic frankly about i feel great about states like georgia and everything but back home tennessee i'm not i'm not liking it like i don't at know all. if i can make you feel better with what i'm about to say or not part of the reason some like georgia flipped is because first of all we got to give credit where it's due there's a long history of blue voting in atlanta uh yeah. the church the black church communities there black women especially they always show up but what the tip, you know, the little extra feather and, and shout out to uh, Stacey Abrams for her voter drive, but also young people moving to Atlanta and bringing yeah. their sort of sense of blue, whatever voting with them. That's happening in Nashville. But uh, Nashville's also become this weird cultural center. It's, it's becoming this weird cultural center of right wing influencer types. Tommy Loren just moved there. Uh, oh. Ben Shapiro just moved there <laughs> and you may think well that's two people but if, when you have the industries that you have in Nashville if there are young Republicans who want to move to a city I guarantee you that Nashville's on the top of their list the same way a young punker from Iowa wants to move to New York or whatever I'll tell you one thing man no one should ever want to move anywhere where Ben Shapiro is that place is bland as hell that dude is boring as shit and anyone who thinks he's smart sometimes he can stumble upon something but my god that guy is so sheep dipped it's ridiculous I love Nashville I am a Nashville yeah. fiend I'm this close Ben I'm this close Everything's we're gonna hang out, out at here. Roberts I can already see it Drew we're gonna hang out at Roberts we're gonna listen to country music eating bologna sandwich we're gonna get five thousand pounds and we're gonna die yeah and well and i'll get to do what i've always what i was born to do which is live in the south and be contrarian and stand out rather than just be out here and sound like everybody else just with a goofy accent well that's my favorite thing about going on fox news you know because uh when push comes to shove i was i was just did not support trump and there's nothing more fun than going on and getting to spar and have verbal debates with the harlan hills of the world big big man <laughs> babies they're very fun but uh so you're not as not as uh, optimistic you're not trey but i also think there is something about nashville that yeah i don't know i yeah, i hope well, look, i don't know how you feel i mean you're from wisconsin right well so wisconsin is an interesting state now obviously it was part of the blue wall so i grew up in wisconsin was a fairly democratic state i know clinton won it twice so obama won it twice i believe Kerry even carried the state um and then what happened is the slow erosion, the slow union busting, the slow, right. just complete and utter brainwashing of a lot of people in Wisconsin. It really took hold, you know, the corporate powers that be again with Scott Walker there. And when it went Trump, I thought it was indicative uh, in 2016 when it went for Trump and obviously now flip back uh, here in 2020. I thought it was indicative of how people were were fed up and stressed out right. and nihilistic. You know, I mean, if you look at Wisconsin there is no reason why, like, there is a huge amount of extreme staunch environmentalists that live in Wisconsin. Right. There's a massive swath of people that would probably vote, re that probably vote Republican that are also massive into conservation, massively yeah. into nature, hunt hunters, farmers. You know, these people live off of the land, but yet still because of a lot of social issues and I think because a lot of uh, just the fact that. 
you know, if you're a politician, just stop in ev- just stop in the fucking places that people vote. You look at what happened with Hillary in Pennsylvania, for example. She went to Pittsburgh and she went to uh, the other place there. She never went to any of the rural areas. Just stop by the rural areas. I forgot about Philadelphia. That yeah, rules. Philadelphia. <laughs> there you go. Uh, she stopped by philly which i love and pittsburgh but you got to stop by other places so i think Mm -hmm. wisconsin felt forgotten about and you can never underestimate how much people just want to be seen for sure And once you see them and they see you they'll let a lot of stuff go just show up yeah i think i mean that's part of the whole story for me too with stacy abrams and everything in georgia is like you know they tried <laughs> like, yeah. like there was a genuine effort in the state of Georgia <laughs> right. by the Democrats and like, you Holy know, shit, it what worked. Idea. I mean, really and, at the end of the day, I mean, that's it. I, but then like, and then, but in Tennessee there, you know, it's just written off and I get why Nashville is great. But I, when I brought up Wisconsin, I was going to say like, you know, huge chunks of red in the state Absolutely. of Wisconsin, but obviously Madison, hugely blue, like most cities, you know, are, uh, blue dots in and whatever Milwaukee. state. So if you're in. a Democratic politician, eh, hey Milwaukee, hey Madison, go to Portage County, go right. to like you know, just go to three different places that people drive for three hours to get to, and they see you, and it, that makes all the freaking difference. And that's the one thing that the Republican Party has done better. Although, again, in twenty uh, twenty and twenty eighteen, we saw the Democrats when they do drive out the vote, the right. dro- the vote does show up. And there's this narrative also of, of like, you know, well, we, the Democrats, they can't talk to these people, you know, because of uh, abortion or guns or God or whatever. And it's like, you don't have to talk about those things, you know, like, yeah, you can we talk don't. about, like in Tennessee, you could talk about getting, you know, if you went, if a candidate went to my hometown, you talk about getting the fucking hospital opened back well, up after you know it what? closed down. And I don't even want to, I, what I'm, I don't like to get super serious on the show, but what I'm about to say is super serious. You're a Democratic politician. If you get an abortion, you get a gun. Boom. It yeah. solves it all. If you get an abortion, <laughs> now you also get a handgun or yeah. an AK-47. So, hey, pick your poison. Yeah, divide and conquer. I think that's a great – I'd vote, I'd vote for you. That'd be tough for some old boys. God damn. <laughs> Baby, I know we're supposed to be against it, but good Lord, look how shiny that shotgun is. Yeah, um, Wendy, is it possible that you could lose the baby? Because we are <laughs> – we, I am eyeing one of those old school muskets. I know, baby. But <laughs> did you see what they added to it? They got the little scope on it now. <laughs> they don't sell those no more. We'll name it Eric. The same thing we wanted to name our child. <laughs> <laughs> but I can get you pregnant again. That's I fine. Can do it, but, but we cannot get this gun again. But this gun ain't coming back. Yeah. I don't. I can get that gun pregnant. A deal like that only comes through every now and then. <laughs> I wanted to say from earlier about the nihilism. Here's how I'm finding it because I feel like. It's important. Uh, it's important to me anyway. If I'm gonna be talking about politics on my uh, respective podcasts and your podcast, that I offer something. If I have anything to offer, and here's what I have to offer: we interviewed a guy a week and a week ago, I guess, named Warren Tidwell, who does mutual aid in the South. And awesome. Warren works with, uh, I think it's called Hometown Action. Uh, and man, it was really cool to learn about that. And he talked to us about these storms come through. The feds come in, they give a certain amount of money, they take their pictures a week later, they're pretty much gone. And he's like, and they did, you know, the people that I meet who work for FEMA, they're great. But the way the policy works, they're there for a week and they're gone. I come in with my organization and I'm trying to fill in the gaps. I'm connecting people with people. 
And through that, you know, I'm we're building these communities and I'm saying, hey, you also, do you want to come with me uh, next week to this meeting that we're having? That's just about unions or whatever. Like, in other words, it's a lot easier for him to talk with people about politics because he's been helping them yeah, and like right. showing up for him. And that's what uh, I've been trying to like force myself to wrap my head around is mutual aid and then local elections actually learning stuff. And I got to shout out the DSA that I just became a member of here in LA. Uh, with however you feel about their policies, they are, they've been sending me so much information that's useful and yeah. it's well, it's well packaged. You know, I get it and I, it makes sense. It's not confusing and it doesn't seem to be jargon. I think that's where the non nihilism for me is going to come in over the next yeah. three or four years is to just do where can I help? If I feel like the national Demo- uh, the national democratic apparatus isn't there for me, then what can I do? Right. And of course, the DSA, the Democratic Socialists of America, I have a lot of friends. I actually met with them in New York when I was running for office. Uh, there are some great points of view that they express. And God knows in a healthy democracy, the DSA must exist should exist, and uh, definitely some of the attributes or some of the things that they attribute to the problems as they see it in this country, at the they are trying to solve a lot of these issues. And you're right. Everything is about, everything comes down to people are in need and people are struggling right now. And you, you look no further than freaking TikTok, to be honest. There was just a woman on there talking about how she had to not uh, buy her child prescription drugs because they couldn't afford it. So they were... I mean, you know, the irony is in 2012, 2008, talking about universal basic income, crazy people on the right that, again, were just lying through their teeth for their own economic gain, talking about death panels, talking about how we're going to have to choose who gets medication, what, where, and when. Well, you want death panels. We're in it now. In the wealthiest nation in the world, people are rationing diabetes medications for their children. Uh, it's not right. And uh, yeah. if you talk to and everyone will agree with that. There are certain universal truths. And, uh, you know, all these parties have to do is dip it, dip their fucking spoon in the soup and uh, just try to just try to figure out what the hell they can do to help, you know, get a little bread in there to soak up some of the misery. And um, that's the best they can do, because I understand people. There's a reason people are nihilistic. It's not because they're irrational. It's because they're seeing themselves get screwed. Yeah. When it comes to like hardcore conservatives and healthcare, you know, I haven't met one yet in person. I'm sure they do exist. And I would almost respect this. That would literally just tell you like, yeah, I'm totally okay with allowing poor people to die when they get sick. Like that's, that's what I want to happen is for them. You know, if you're poor and you get sick, then you just die. And that's how it works. They won't say that. Like if you ask them, you know, so you would just let poor people die. They'll say, well, no, of course not. But you know, why should I have to pay for everybody else's healthcare? And of course it's like, what you're, if you're not going to let them die, if they can't afford it, but they get, you know, if they receive care anyway, those costs go elsewhere. That's why everything is so fucking expensive. You know what I mean? Like it, uh, it gets, that's why everything gets pro- uh, inflated so much yes. is because people can't afford to pay for it, but they still get the care because of course they do, because this is America and you have to take care of people, but it's not like it's just magically not paid for by anyone or those costs just go away, you know? So exactly. As long as why not just pay for it to begin with 
and I would clarify also, you know, as someone who might come from it or come at the conversation from a fiscally conservative perspective, our tax dollars are gone no matter what. Right. Yep. It's all about allocation of funds. Right. Yes. And as far as I'm concerned, I pay so much in taxes and I'm not even freaking complaining. Could go for some nicer roads, but whatever. Right. I want my money to go for a greater good purpose. And right. I don't want my money to go to the, you know, the bloated military budget. All of this, the, the cop budgets are absolutely inflated and insane. I mean, there's so much bloat out there in the government. It's insane. It's all everyone's living like they just had a bender with freaking uh, James Vanderbeek from 2008 and the keg went dry. I mean, everyone's about as fat and bloated as it gets out there. But I see it more like they're taking my money anyway. Right. So at the very least, give me a single payer option that's competitive and give me something because give give me something for my freaking money. Give it back. It's not like the government's giving you anything. It's our money to begin with. Yeah. So that's my only argument against the fiscal conservative where it's like they already took it. Give me something in return, please, God. I quite literally couldn't have said that any better. I think that was so on point. The allocation argument doesn't get made enough. People in this country don't seem to have their head wrapped around the fact that they're already taking your money. We're arguing that they move it to a better right. spot. Just give and it I, fucking back. <laughs> and I will say, Trey, you're you're right, Trey, about like emergency room care. But like that diabetes point, here's what these insurance companies have figured out how to do. Make the family make the decision. And then they're not killing someone. You know, what can we know. do well, about look, it? Hey, poor people Ugh. die every goddamn day because <laughs> yeah. they're poor. I'm, right. I wasn't trying to, uh, you know, suggest otherwise. I'm just saying when you're having this argument with these people, you know, they'll right. never admit yeah. to. Yeah, let's, I would be totally OK with just allowing the poor people to die. And, because, but the, and you know what? And, and you know what, Trey, though, honestly, I don't think that they want poor people to die either. Like there's a lot of yeah, good hearted people, you know, but yes. you're right, because at the end of right. the day, the it is what it is. The the uh, but the allocation argument. I mean, I agree completely with both of you all. I wish it would, it should be the first thing that gets brought up. However, I do know there are plenty of people, plenty of conservatives who, you know, they're not going to listen to an argument about taking it away from the defense budget. It doesn't matter how bloated and out of. Well, and of course, Democrats as well on that front. That's one of the areas right. of bipartisan. You just can't do that because it's framed as like, safety or something you know like that's the one thing you can't you can't fuck with because if you yeah. do well then what we're all gonna get exploded tomorrow or invaded or whatever you know like i i used to in my old day job i worked for a guy that was a big conservative and he had worked for the military for a long time but in like a business capacity who's in yeah. contracts for the air force and I asked him once, I was like, look, just being, cause he actually brought up this big facility that he had to contract for where they could put all these <laughs> surplus fighter jets that oh. had no other use, you know, each of which is mil tens of millions of dollars. And they literally didn't have anywhere to put them. Oh so he gosh. had to make another multi-million dollar purchase for a facility to house all these things or whatever. And he was telling me this and he was telling me this in the context of like an office story, you know, like this is a thing i had to do one time right, right but when he was telling me i was like i was like all right bill uh you know so just being straight with me is there any rationale for why we even have so many goddamn fighter jets we literally don't know what to do with them anymore and he goes completely seriously he was like he was like well uh, yes yes of course there is or you know he acted like i was weird for asking the question you know what i mean right he was like he was like we have to maintain the 
fleet or whatever the hell. Like he just so just in he, case he couldn't under he, again. He acted like I was dumb for not understanding the situation there. So was his know? argument just in case? I'm not sure I understand it. Yeah, well, I mean, I didn't understand it either. Oh. <laughs> At the time, I didn't understand it. But yes, no, pretty much. Because it was like, we, if we can't, we start slacking. I guess it was a version of the slippery slope argument. It was like, we can't start slacking off, Trey. You know, because if we do, that's when they'll catch up to us or well, whatever, you know. But I'm saying, he told this whole story, the thrust of which was, we have so many multi-million dollar fighter jets, we don't know what to do with them. And then when asked, do you think we really need all those jets? 100% totally, you know, stone face. Yeah, of course, absolutely. We need all of those jets. Why would you suggest otherwise? Well, and of course, because if he admitted that we perhaps we don't need that, that would unravel a lot of the right. core tenets, obviously, of his political worldview, which is right. Right. You know. Also, I don't know if, how much you get fact checked by the listeners on here. For the record, it was some kind of big military implement. It might not have literally been jets. It might have been tanks, whatever. But it well, was you know something what's so interesting, like though, obviously, <laughs> again, talking about economics and we'll wrap it up. Thank you guys so much for being here. But just lastly, you know, when it comes to economics and personal economics, I was talking to somebody and he's in comedy. Uh, not a comedian, but anyway, he works in corrections and he straight up told me he didn't want weed to be legal because it's good for him in corrections. Uh, he runs the kitchen at, uh, at a facility in New York and he doesn't want weed to be legal because it's good for him for job security. Meanwhile, he has people that he knows personally that go on his stage and talk about weed and do more coke than anyone could ever imagine. I mean, and uh, but yeah. that's his worldview is I would prefer it not to be legal because for me and my profession, it's really good to have these folks incarcerated. It's it's nasty. That's disgusting. It is. It's straight up nasty. I did this like news magazine pilot once. I was just a correspondent. It was somebody else's thing for HBO and it ended up not getting made. But I was like a correspondent and my piece was we went to Tennessee, which was a about to attempt to pass our first big medical marijuana bill. This was like 2017 or 18, something like that. And it was co-sponsored by two Republican state senators, right? Sure. So we go to Tennessee, we interview all these people, those guys, medical professionals, you know, whatever, all the different stakeholders. And asking those guys, these two Repu like conservative Republicans, asking them, and it was their bill, a medical marijuana bill, and uh, asking them, so, you know, amongst your constituents, like, you know, rural Tennesseans and whatnot, people in, in the counties you represent, when you go out and talk to them about this, wh what level of opposition do you face to a bill like this from just regular people? And they both independently of each other were like, oh, none. They're like essentially zero. Almost no one opposes it. Right. And then the follow-up question, okay, so what percentage chance do you give it of passing? And both of them were like, Oh, 50 50 at best. It's a coin flip if we're lucky. It's like, it's probably not going to pass. And it ended up not passing. Jeez. And then you ask them, well, what, how is that possible? And they would say, well, a lot of our, a lot of our colleagues here in the state Congress, they're just not convinced. You know, it's like, well, why does it matter what they even think? If, if all the actual people in Tennessee are for it, and then they would just tell you, they're like, well, there's a lot of other. You know, there's a lot of other stakeholders, a lot of other interested parties, uh -huh. and it was law enforcement and the prison industry. And Marsha Blackburn was a huge part of it that we talked about earlier because of, uh, or 
Marshall Blackburn or Diane Black, they both suck and they're both Tennessee Congress. I get him confused too. And I was, yeah. One of them, one of the two, their fortune, their family fortune comes from uh, drug testing people. They have like a drug drug testing company. So all these like very, very obvious, you know, moneyed interest. But yeah. it was wild to me. They weren't even trying to hide any of that. Like they, they don't were just, anymore. I'm there with like HBO cameras and stuff yep. interviewing them. And they were just like, yeah, it's just, that's just how it is. You know, they, the, people don't want to see this. All every regular Tennessean is all for this, but it's probably still not going to happen because of law enforcement, prisons, whatever. And it was just, you know, hey, you know, say what you want about John Kerry. At least the Heinz family that he makes all of his money off of is just invested in ketchup. <laughs> and maybe world maybe world domination at some point. I don't know. But wow. Thank you guys so much for coming on the show and having such a fun conversation with me. And it was great to meet you guys. And I can't wait to see you guys more because now we're L.A. friends and I'm very sticky, uh, both literally and physically. Well, so I will be I'm forced. I'm going to force that uh, that you hang out with me and oh, watch sports love, yes. and stuff like I love, that. Yeah, love. My wife is uh, out of town, but she's like pretty furious. She didn't get to meet Jerry and Puffin. So, well, I mean, they she will meet them, and they can't wait to meet her. The liberal rednecks, everybody, check them out. And uh, yeah, where do you guys have anything that you want to plug? Yeah. Uh, whenever we tour together, when that's legal, you know, and everything's cool and we haven't in a long time, but hopefully we will before too long, but we, you can go to well red, that's well, R E D well, red comedy.com. We with Corey, who you mentioned earlier, co-host the well red podcast. I also have a political podcast with our uh, buddy, Mark AG, and it's called, um, weekly skews. It was evening skews. Just change it to weekly skews. Uh, every Tuesday I do it live. Mm-hmm on my Facebook and YouTube page and whatnot. But yeah, you can go to weeklyskews.com and check that out. We have a good time. And Drew's got some shit. Uh, yeah, I've got, we've got the Will Red podcast too. So me, Trey and Corey also do a podcast together. Well Red, R-E-D, like Will Redneck. Uh, I do Into the Abiscuit podcast, which is uh, a Southern Gothic, uh, you know, look into the darkness podcast. We've actually been doing politics lately because we decided what's more of an abyss in America right now than politics and what's going on. But we do mental health stuff and my buddy DJ's with me. And then you just follow me at Drew Morgue Comedy. Oh, yeah. And follow me at Trey Crowder. Just my T-R-A-E Crowder on all the shit. Okay, there it was, their conversation with Trey and Drew, the liberal rednecks. Really fun stuff. Thank you, Fernando, for uh, for everything that you do. Uh, thank you, Ben, for having me. And next week, I will be spe- speaking with Fernando as well. And I don't know, we'll chit-chat about a bunch of stuff because we have got to, we'll, I don't know, there, there's a lot to talk about. And we want, and you know what I learned as well, that just today, we want to make sure the nihilism doesn't take over. And it's hard because it's a nihilistic world in many ways. You know, it's really up to the politicians that we voted for, for us not to turn into those nihilistic, you know, assholes. Well, that's the thing, because it's also to be a nihilist. It also sometimes goes hand in hand with like paying attention a bunch. And uh, that's unfortunate because you can say, like, I'm just paying attention. And it's like, yes, you are paying attention. And a lot of things are extremely messed up. But again, as we talked about, uh, these are all human situations that humans got us into it. And I think we can get us out of it, hopefully. So is nihilism when you're too woke? Nihilism is <laughs> almost, <laughs> in a way, combined with, uh, yeah, yeah, nihilism. I mean, I know what it means. I was, you know, making the yeah, joke. Yeah, it could, but, be, it could you know. be a little bit too woke in a way. Too aware. You're right. But also that can be a, that can be a double-edged sword. All right. 
All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Hail yourselves. We'll talk to you soon. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey mom, first things first, thank you. It's my one year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, Mom. Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost.